Hey, Shepherd family, this is Pastor Scott Seidler, and I bring grace to you and peace from God our Father, through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Some selected verses for you to consider, although it would be helpful for you if you would open up your Holy Scriptures, bring them up on your iPad, iPhone, or Android device or computer screen, and follow along with me as I just track with you through these two chapters that give us an opportunity to bend our hearts toward God in worship just as those who are gathered around the throne of the Lamb do here today. We learn that John is looking after Jesus has spoken to the seven churches, bringing them messages of affirmation for things that they are doing well and have achieved spiritually, bringing them condemnation and critique for areas of their life as children of God that needs to improve, and at the same time, giving them confidence that he, in his person, is the one who holds the keys to life and death, who is the Alpha, the Omega, is the one who is worthy, worthy of their attention, and therefore also worthy of their praise, honor, and glory. In Revelation chapter 4, John hears a voice, a voice that speaks like a trumpet blast. Verse 1, and this voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. He sees the throne After hearing these words of affirmation and critique, after being brought into the vision of chapter 1 in its original beauty and majesty, now he is brought into the very core center of heaven. And he beholds the throne, the throne we will learn that is occupied by the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. And around this throne, as chapter 4 continues, there are elders and there are magnificently, marvelously wonderful and terrifying creatures. And all of these beings that are gathered around the throne, we are told, verse 7, 8, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, they fall down. And they lay their crowns, these elders that are gathered around the throne, they lay their crowns and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. It's a fantastic vision. And it reminds us that say what you will about revelation. Believe what you may about the end times. Understand however it is you will understand chapters 2 and 3 and the critiques and affirmations that are given to those seven churches. Take it all together and when all is said and done, there is one common thing that unites it all. There is one who is holy who is the very center of the vision of heaven. 
And let me just step back for a second from this opening exposition of Revelation chapter 4 and ask, as I learned to ask very early in my Christian walk, who's on the throne of your life? You know, when I was uh, young, a young Christian in college, I was connected with the great Christian college campus ministry known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And we uh, would take these little tracts, these little pamphlets, and we would share with our fellow college students, who is your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to accept and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by dying on the cross, he has covered over all your sins, he has forgiven all of your faults, and he has given you a promise of eternal life with him in heaven. We would, we would ask our, our fellow college students that. But then the question became this. Now that you've given your life to Christ, now that Jesus Christ has revealed his grace and mercy to you and you by faith have accepted that, now the question comes, are you ready to live as more than just a carnal Christian? Are you ready to live as one whose life is spiritually directed? That is to say, are you ready to give away your seat on the throne of your life, the control that you exercise over the course and direction of your existence? Are you ready to give that away and cede control to the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, Christian Who's sitting on the throne of your life? It's a question which each and every moment of our lives we need to answer because the fact of the matter is because of sin living inside of us, there is always the creep. It's a creepy creep. But there's always the creep that we will uh, squeeze ourselves in. Kind of like my dog Toby does when we're sitting on the couch and we're watching television or something like that. And we don't have a whole lot of room with our family on the couch. And yet the dog comes up and he circles around and he squeezes in between Renee and I because he wants to sit on the couch. And of course, because we love the dog, we make room. But you know, when it comes to the throne of your life, spiritually speaking, God doesn't really want to make room for you. Because he knows better, and by the way, you should know better. If we are in the driver's seat of our lives, if we by our own devices direct the trajectory of our existence, bad things happen. God says, let me be the Lord of your life. Let me sit on the throne. This vision that we read here in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, is a vision not just of of the glory and authority of God down the road into the future. It's a picture of the glory and authority of God that can and should be experienced right now in the present. So who's on the throne? Is it CNN? Is it your bank account? Is it the opinion of your children, your friends? Is it the stuff that you learned back in graduate school? Is it your love for adventure? Who or what is sitting on the throne of your life? Because the only one 
who sits on the throne of your life, who's worthy to have crowns thrown at it and money thrown at it and time and effort and talent and energy and emotion. The only thing that's worthy to sit on the center of the throne is the one who we see sitting on the center of the throne here that the elders and these amazing creatures are ready to bow down, face down and say, prostrate before it, you are holy. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy to give correction. You are worthy to give affirmation. And for us to believe your words because you are trustworthy and true. Now, we make our way farther into Revelation chapter 5. And now Revelation chapter 5 gets fun because this is a pivot point in the book of Revelation. We're going to start opening some scrolls. We're going to start opening some scrolls. And the scrolls will architect the forward progress of history. One after another, these scrolls will reveal incrementally how time moves forward. The thing about it is, in order to move time forward, in order to open these scrolls, one has to be found who is worthy. Well, uh, we, we know the answer to the question, who is the one who is worthy? It's the lamb who sits on the throne. We'll read about that in just a second. But what I want you to pay attention to and pick up on right now is how, as I read through chapter five, this worthiness, this worthy one, is discovered. Listen in. Then, John writes, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Let's just take again another step back. And let's internalize, let's invest ourselves in the emotion of that moment. The moment in which God looks out over the entire world, everyone who exists, and and asks the question, hey, this this little rolled-up scroll here that tells the incremental development of history, is there anybody here who's worthy to open this scroll? And no one's found. The experience that John has of that ought to be debilitating for us. Literally, it ought to be debilitating. It ought to weaken us to the point of absolute failure of functioning. Uh, What I mean by that is, if there is truly no one worthy, we as Christians should again return to the truth that sin is awful, it exists, and it cannot be undone by human effort and manufacture of will. There is no one who is of the level of righteousness, integrity, holiness, purity, that can even touch this scrap of paper. Except one, 
who lived perfectly in active obedience to God's will and gave himself perfectly and passively into the will of God the Father who deigned for him to bend to the ground, be hoisted on a cross, and bear on his shoulders the sins of the world. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't miss this. You and I, by nature, are not worthy to sit on the throne. We are not, by nature, worthy to work on behalf of the one sitting on the throne. The only way we are made worthy is by the one on the throne doing the work and saying the words that make us worthy to stand in his presence. Don't miss this, even while John is weeping. He, by God's grace, is in the presence of the one who sits on the throne. That's startling. It's phenomenal. It's encouraging. It's restful and reassuring. These are the things that we focus on. And the story continues. He's weeping, but verse 5, one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing, standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he stepped forward, verse 7, and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne And when he took the scroll, the four elders, the four living beings, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests. For our God, and they will reign on the earth. Isn't that an amazing vision? This lamb who is worthy is not just uh, some glorified caricature of a lamb. There's a very specific descriptor that is so critical. It will never be taken away from the Lord Jesus Christ because here's the deal. It is the greatest glory that our living God can hold. And that is the appearance of his son is not just some marvelously magnificent lamb that is without blemish. No, he has a blemish. And it is the sign of slaughter that he bears to this day. And that sign of slaughter that he was willing as the living God, the architect of life, this living God gave himself over to death, gave himself over to execution, crucifixion, that is the sign of how great God is that in his love he would bear the sins of the world through a physical, factual death. This God is doing great work and he will never lay aside the sign of that slaughter. Consider that. Because you can't go through the book of Revelation thinking that somehow what it took in order to redeem you and I is going to simply be jettisoned as soon as better times come. 
This is called, in part, the theology of the cross. Christianity is not built on a glorious, um, blemishless picture of, of God's divine power and authority. It is built on the understanding that the greatest glory of God is revealed when he is hoisted up and fully dead on a cross. Because that's not the way the living God should look. And yet the love that God has for you took him to that very place. And in order to make sure that his love for you is never forgotten, minimized, diminished, overlooked, he will continue to be the one as described here in Revelation chapter 5, the lamb who appeared as though he was slaughtered. It's an amazing vision. It's part of the vision of Revelation that really makes Revelation tick. Revelation, in other words, it's not just about getting us to the end. It's not just about getting us through the end times. It's not about fantastical moments in history as multicolored horses and, and, and devils are thrown into burning lakes of fire. All of that is part of the storyline, but the vision, the vision that makes Revelation the restful word of God that it is, is that there is a slaughtered lamb who has borne the sins of the world and ransomed a people for God in the middle of it. When this sermon series on Revelation is over, will the vision you take away from it be one of fantastical moments in the history of God's redemption? Or will it be the vision simply of a slaughtered lamb who sits on the throne who is worthy to open the scrolls of history's forward progress? Think about that. It's spectacular. Well, the scrolls are now being opened. And verse 11, I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and of the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. My brothers and sisters, that vision in Revelation chapter 5 becomes in our earthly moment the words that we often will take with us to receiving the Lord's Supper. When gathered as a family in faith with angels and archangels, we laud and magnify the glorious name of Jesus. And we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Friends, this is the vision that gives us great hope, and it is the vision in which we find our rest. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, both now and forever. Amen.